The most important thing about Digital Lab is that the pathologist is really in the center of everything and can immediately diagnose cases like on her or his microscope in a very uh, fast way. Digital Lab is also a platform that integrates AI. Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. When we talk about digital pathology, most often we're referring to its use for diagnosis, but it also has many applications in teaching and consultations. My guest today is Dr. Martin Virak. He's the co-founder of Smart in Media. Today, we're going to talk about how Smart in Media was developed initially as an educational tool and some of its features in that area. And then we'll talk about how they got into diagnostics and the incorporation of AI. All right, here's Dr. Martin Vidak. So I know that you developed an interest in computers and, and programming at a pretty young age. And that kind of informs where this, where your kind of career path eventually went. So let's start with that. Can you tell me how you got interested in computers? Mm -hmm. Yes, and please call me Martin. So I think I was around 10 or 11 when I saw a programmable uh, calculator for the first time in the hands of some 13, 14-year-old kid that I had met somewhere. And I got instantly hooked and intrigued by the power of programming a machine. Um, and in fact, I then got a, a Commodore 64 uh, for Christmas when I was 12. And that is uh, the first time I started programming. At that time, there was an 83. There were no, not many computer games for the Commodore 64. So I couldn't get distracted as kids nowadays could. And that's why I right. immersed then in programming. And I always was uh, extremely creative. And actually, I think that uh, software engineers are somewhat of the artists of the 21st century. And uh, I see it as an art form and as a passion. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember the Commodore 64 also. There wasn't, you're right. There weren't a whole lot of games for the, or there wasn't so much you could do with, uh, to, to kind of waste time with those. So you had to actually do real uh, programming things. Now, the reason I wanted to bring that up is because it will, we're going to circle back around to that later because you continued along with this interest in computers. Now, I want to kind of go on a different track. Uh, right now. So you went on then to, to medical school, obviously, and your decision to become a doctor, I have to think that's because both of your parents were doctors as well. Would you agree with that? It was more that I had a keen interest in um, biology, chemistry, and other natural sciences uh, as a kid, was okay. always interested in uh, this. And um, I asked myself then, uh, once I had graduated from high school, what uh, to do. And uh, first I had thought about biology or chemistry, but in essence, then it was an easy choice with my parents, both being uh, medical doctors, uh, to also pursue that path. Because at that time, actually, I did not know there was a thing like studying computer science or informatics. And I believe one of my class of 120 kids uh, actually only went to become a computer scientist. So at that time, it wasn't a thing and I had didn't have it on, on my mind. So that's why I ended up with medical school. Going into medical school, did you have an idea of what, I, I know eventually you got, you got into hematology and oncology, but going in, did you have an idea what sort of specialty you wanted to get into? 
To be honest, I didn't. I never had a plan in my life, uh, really. Um, and that uh, up to a higher age, I just let myself, you know, kind of flow uh, or I go with the flow and see what kind of opportunities arise. And truth to be told, I actually hated medical school because for me, it was that it's all about learning things by heart. And it did not kind of synchronized with my creative streak. So when I was in medical school and had spent quite some time in um, getting my exams done, um, I didn't really see a way back. And I thought, yeah, I just finished that. Um, and on the side, I immersed myself again in uh, computer science, basically in programming uh, software, which was my passion. And I Early on, I knew during my medical school, I want to go into the direction of medical informatics. Once I graduated from medical school, though, medical informatics was still in its infancy, and it did not really make sense to pursue that path. That was in 1996 or 7. Okay, yeah, I imagine that was either pre-internet or just at the beginning of the internet. So I imagine, yeah, like you said, medical informatics was really not, it wasn't really a, a thing yet. Okay. So then how did you, how did you get interested in hematology and oncology? Well, again, go with the flow. The thing was at that time uh -huh. in 1997, there were more medical school graduates than doctors were needed in the market. So I just applied for any internal medicine subject for also pediatrics and also for neurology. And the first job that I landed was actually in the University Hospital of Cologne in hematology, oncology. And actually then I um, also liked the subject uh, once I was there and I understood most, uh, more of it. And that's how I became an oncologist. So again, uh, pure coincidence. That, that, that's interesting though, but it, it's important I think that you found the you, you saw the opportunity there and you and you took it you didn't let it uh kind of pass you by yeah um so i mean it really may sound truly weird or bizarre that someone you know pays so little attention to what he's about to do i was sure that i didn't want to become a surgeon after all so i i knew i wanted to pursue a career in internal medicine and again at that time um you couldn't be too picky about where to go. And um, once I started in oncology, I immediately started to, uh, to like it. And in fact, now looking back at these 20 years that I work clinically in oncology, if I was to choose again a medical specialty, I would again pick oncology just because for from my perspective, it is the subject in medicine that has evolved the most during the last 20 years it rather has exploded really in knowledge in research in clinical trials the difference between oncology in 1997 when i started and now is like from going from earth not only to moon but to mars you know now we do a lot of treatment with immuno um, immunotherapy we combine it with chemotherapy there are so many very interesting aspects about this um, subject that if you compare it with other medical specialties, um, especially like psychiatry that has um, remained in, in the last century, it has made most progress. And actually, this is what I truly liked about it. Also, that it is 
very meaningful in what you do. Uh, and the patients are actually, you're kind of becoming a partner of the patients. You, you see them on a, on a um, sometimes day-to-day -day basis. That's what I really enjoyed working together with the patients. And also in contrast, for instance, to a subject like cardiology, where you tell the patient, hey, please stop smoking, lose weight, um, where it's really hard to, well, convince patients to change their lifestyle. In oncology, they really work together with us, uh, uh, with us oncologists um, a lot because they see their life really threatened. And uh, we are often enough now able to help them very well. So this is why I think oncology is really a good choice, a good career choice for anyone becoming a doctor. I can understand that, just the sort of the rewarding aspect of it. Now, as you were going through medical school and working in oncology, you you still kept an interest in computers. And I know you said earlier that medical informatics at the time was not really a, a field to get into. But so you, you stuck with computers as more of a hobby. And I want to talk about this a little bit. And the reason why is I like the idea of combining, you you, you have two separate interests and you eventually find found a way to combine them together. And so I want to talk about this. Like, when did you realize that you had these two interests that you could combine? Very early on. So during my career in, in the university hospital, um, I also did a postdoc for two years in a research lab. After that, I was also almost two years at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute as a research associate. And during that time, I actually started a very small effort to found a software company uh, for two things. One was a chemotherapy planner that I had actually programmed myself and also a software to actually a software a database software for research labs um, to have an overview about all the frozen samples that you have in, in labs. This Endeavor wasn't really successful. I sold very few licenses and it was very hard to pursue on this side because for one, I was still um, trying to, uh, or I was still in my residency and then later on in the fellowship and you rarely have any time to do anything on the side. So it took another couple of years, uh, actually the end of the 2000s, in 2009, 2010. That is actually uh, then when I uh, also hired uh, one or two uh, first um, students, uh, informatics students, who uh, then started coding for me. And that is when um, things were beginning to pick up. But it was a very, very tough time to start anything besides a full clinical job. Okay, I see. That's interesting. Now, I want to kind of transition from that into how you develop the idea for what, what you're doing now, which is called Smart in Media. How, how, where, where did that idea begin? Yeah, so the idea arose when I had a meeting with a pharmaceutical company, actually with Celgene, and I had developed a chemotherapy or a drug planner for them for their products, uh, Vidaza and Revlimid. And they asked me, uh, hey, Martin, um, there is this German Society of Clinical Oncology meeting coming up, and we want to do something Besides just having a booth there where we uh, hand out coffee to physicians, do you have any cool idea what we could do there? And um, I had this idea that I thought it would be great to have a huge iPad, basically a touchscreen, 
um, where you could have a quiz um, for hematologists uh, to microscope a couple of slides on the screen with your hands and have a quiz, what kind of disease is this bone marrow smear or this blood smear? And they said, well, this is quite a nice idea. You know, can you work out something on that? And at that time, I also knew a pathologist who is now um, also one of the shareholders, um, Alberto Perez-Busa. And I talked to him about that. And I said, is there something that you can have a, a microscope digitally, that you can have the slide digitally? And he said, of course, he uh, was doing that already in his university for a couple of years with an aperial scanner. And at that time, that was 2012-ish, um, all these image formats would only run on an installable software or in the browser with the Flash technology. But as you know, Flash as a plugin wasn't supported in any iOS devices and the iPhone was really popular at that time. So mm. I said, yeah, we have to do something else. And that's how I came up with the idea, let's develop a platform located in the cloud or on-premise where you can have these digital slides that already existed from these scanners, put them online and be able to view them from any device, from any browser. And that's actually how Smart Media then started. How long did it take to, to develop that, to go from this idea to the actual uh, product? Yes, well, actually for this uh, one conference, uh, this hematology conference in Germany, um, it took us uh, basically three months uh, to have a small working software, okay. which we could present there at this meeting. But our first real product was, in fact, an app that we published on Google Play and also on the uh, Apple App Store with a full set of fully annotated histology slides of healthy organs, uh, roughly 100, 120 slides in four languages. And we actually thought that we could make uh, some money with that and uh, further uh, grow our company. But in reality, the free version, which had a limited set of slides, was downloaded, I think, 200,000 times worldwide. So really a lot. But um, it, wow. commercially, yeah. it was that it could pay the rent of our office. But unfortunately, uh, we didn't get rich by it. <laughs> but this was the first step that we took, this so-called smart histology app that we published at that time. And from this, the idea arose well, all the universities are teaching medical students how to microscope in histology and pathology and also hematology a little bit. They all need a platform of their own where they can put their own course slides, annotate them and give them out to the uh, students. And this is how um, the so-called Smart Zoom platform was born. The interesting thing is um, also for the American listeners is outside of the U.S., Basically, in every country worldwide, medical students have to be able to recognize slides under the microscope once in the anatomy courses in histology. So there they have to discriminate the healthy organs under the microscope. And in the pathology classes, they have to recognize diseases under the microscope. I know that within the U.S. in medical school, um, there's actually no such thing. They're a little bit in pre-med, a uh, little bit histology, but this is uh, rather small. So outside of the U.S., this is really a big thing. And um, in uh, Germany, um, two-thirds of all universities teach with our smartphone platform, as do a couple of universities 
um, here in Europe, and uh, we even have some uh, co colleges in the US that uh, use it. It sounds like at the beginning, at least, smart media was just it was just for education. You weren't into getting into diagnostics at, at all at that time, right? Absolutely. So actually, from 2012 to 2017, it was only education because the scanners, the microscope scanners, weren't fast enough for use in diagnostics. I would say. And and you mentioned that a lot. There were many universities that started using smart in media, and in fact you became the the teaching and seminar platform for the European Society of Pathology and the International Academy of Pathology. Now, how did you get how did you get involved with these groups? Yeah, so early on it was clear that um, education is really an important aspect of pathology. And we had this well very good and very broad um, education platform SmartZoom so the International Academy of Pathology, they are an organization that has basically uh, a branch in every country of its own. And here in Germany, um, they do a lot of education for pathologists. So they have 250 different courses for different diseases, organ groups, and so forth. And it was a small step from all the universities whom we already had one as customers um, to go to the International Academy of Pathology. They are using it now for already five years. They host, I think, 10 terabytes or roughly 10,000 slides with us, and it has been a huge success. And um, two years ago, the uh, European Society of Pathology uh, put out a tender where they invited um, many companies uh, to pitch uh, and present uh, their own uh, teaching portal, teaching platform, and fortunately, we won this uh, tender uh, because SmartZoom uh, is the platform with uh, most functionality. And actually, with ESP together, we have grown this platform even more by numerous features that are needed. Um, not only universities and organizations are using SmartZoom, but also by now, uh, many of the big pharmaceutical companies who have an interest of uh, also putting out information like uh, PDL1. There are a lot of PDL1 portals uh, from a couple of uh, pharmaceutical companies which um, are also running on SmartZoom. Okay, so I have to think being involved with these organizations that probably really helped the popularity of your platform them. Is that kind of when things really started to take off? Yeah, together with diagnostics really. So the first years of smart media were extremely hard. Um, so between 2012 and 2017, we even had a small seed invest and we were actually bleeding money for the first uh, five years. But since 2017, we have become profitable. And I think we are one of the very uh, rare digital pathology companies that are already uh, profitable. And this was uh, on one part due to the a teaching platform, but also because diagnostics then finally started picking up. Let's talk about diagnostics then. How did you decide to make the, the kind of tr transition into diagnostics from education? The addition of um, diagnostics was actually a natural process because we were getting requests about that. And also we had co-developed a system which allows you to manually scan slides on your own microscope. The problem with 
the digitalization of pathology is mostly the price of the automated scanners. So as you know, the prices of high-throughput scanners are quite high. So usually a scanner starts at maybe $180,000 for purchasing and it digitizes one to two pathologists per day. So you need a lot of scanners, which is a big investment. And many pathologies shy away from that investment because, of course, they also need a return of investment. So what we did is we started with a very small and low-cost system which allows you to manually scan slides on your own microscope in combination with our so-called Pathosum Slide Cloud. And with this, immediately pathologists were using this combination system, this Pathosum Scan and Live View together with the Slide Cloud um, for special applications. For instance, for frozen sections. Frozen section, as you know, happens in surgeries and often pathologists have to be there um, on site. If this hospital, for instance, yeah. is external, doesn't have its own pathology department, then often enough pathologists have to sit there, wait for the sample to arrive and maybe they only have four cases in a morning. Um, and in reality, if they would be back at their office in the lab, they would uh, do 20 cases in the same time. So actually for them, it's kind of a waste of time and money. And with this system now in place, you can send a younger physician or a technician there who then just puts the slide of the frozen section under the microscope, calls the senior pathologist, asks him or her, to have a look at the microscope just through the internet with our system and uh, the senior pathologist can immediately give a diagnosis. With this, we have 200, 300 systems out in the market, which are really used for applications like these, frozen section, communication, um, having it at, on your own desk, on your own microscope. So immediately you're able to communicate very quickly and very efficiently at a very low cost. This is how we entered the digital pathology diagnostic market. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Dr. Martin Virock. We'll be right back. LabVine invites you to their Laboratory Transformation Seasonal School to help laboratory professionals gear up for the future of healthcare. This is a three-day online event taking place August 29th through the 31st. Day one focuses on change, transformation, and culture. Day two, on staff optimization, and day three on implementation and change management. I'll be speaking at this event as well as a few other people who you have heard on this podcast. You can register for free for Laboratory Transformation Seasonal School by following the link in the show notes. Whether you're working hard at the grossing bench, the autopsy table, behind a microscope, or any other area of the medical laboratory, there's one thing that we all need, comfortable scrubs. The scrubs that I wear come from Dressamed. This is a company in California, and they've been making high-quality scrubs since 1980. They have a variety of styles and colors to choose from. As a matter of fact, I just ordered a set of the new soft stretch scrubs, so I'm looking forward to trying those out. You can check out Dressamed by following the link in the show notes. Make sure you sign up for their loyalty program, where every order will earn you points towards special offers and discounts. Now back to Dr. Martin Virock on the People of Pathology podcast. One thing I wanted to ask you about, and I heard you talk about this when you were on the Digital Pathology podcast. A, a lot of times with pathology software, 
especially like, you know, uh, the LIS systems and things like that, it's not really user friendly because it's created by the computer scientists and not by the people actually working in the pathology lab. And sometimes the computer scientists don't really know the pathology workflow. So they kind of give it their, their best shot. Now, as you mentioned earlier, your company was co-founded with a pathologist and he still works closely with you and you work closely with other pathologists. I'm curious how working with the pathologist helps you to improve your, your system. If I would only be able to implement one aspect or one feature into a medical software, only one, the most important feature is speed. There's nothing else. So what many computer scientists neglect to know or to see is that physicians work, I like to say sometimes as a German, at, uh, as uh, on Aldi's cashier desk. So it's like on a conveyor belt. Everything is extremely fast and software has to be so fast or even faster that it supports you as a physician and doesn't block you. And myself, I have worked again, 20 years clinically with so many bad medical applications, um, which often frustrated me that I always think about the physician using our software. And I know this always has to be really great that this physician either doesn't feel the software or has or is in fact enjoying it and that is our philosophy what we actually do is that our software engineers also observe pathologists while they're working that means at least once or twice a year each software engineer has an appointment a personal appointment at a pathology to observe a pathologist and of course um, also the technicians um, at their workplace and to learn how do they really work and why do we need the features that we implement. And not only this, but as we are developing this software in a so-called agile way, that means that we have regular so-called sprints of three weeks where we add new or program new features and then release them, we instantly get feedback from the customers um, on a very regular basis. Not only that, but on top of that, we have user meetings uh, with a pathologist every one or two months where pathologists who use our software can participate and see about the new or upcoming features, can comment on them, and can, of course, also bring new ideas. And this very, very close collaboration has led to the success of the software. So we're very fortunate that when we have sales demonstrations that the pathologists are usually uh, extremely enthusiastic about the usability of our software. But of course, it's only because the software was basically designed by pathologists and their workflow, and then um, also, yeah, in, in essence, programmed by extremely talented engineers. That makes a lot of sense to, like you said, speed is the most important thing. So you've got to know the workflow in order to make that workflow faster. Now, so what we're talking about, this is the PathoZoom digital lab, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of your, your main yes. diagnostic product right now. Okay. Can we go through kind of a, a little sort of overview of, of digital lab and what it does? Mm -hmm. 
PathoZoom Digital Lab is more than just a image management system. We, that's why we call it a diagnostic platform. And it's an open platform, an on-premise solution that connects seamlessly with any scanner and also with any laboratory information system. It's right now becoming an IVDR. I, we're just waiting patiently for the next one or two weeks. Uh, once uh, then we will uh, also have Pathosome Digital Lab under the IVDR certification. And the most important thing about Digital Lab is that the pathologist is really in the center of everything and can immediately diagnose cases like on her or his microscope in a very uh, fast way. Digital Lab is also a platform that integrates AI. And in fact, you can develop your own AI with Digital Lab, which is an exciting feature that is just evolving. But also we integrate AI from other vendors. So um, the first one is MindPeak, also a German company. Actually, I think they were worldwide the first company uh, which got a certification for their um, pathology diagnostic AI. Um, I believe they even were with their IVDR before Page got their FDA. But anyway, they, so they are very early on and we uh, integrated their breast cancer AI. And um, this is something uh, which, of course, will pick up more. To be quite frank, it is that well, basically, it's very clear that AI will be uh, an essential part of pathology of the future. But right now, when we talk to pathologists as customers, most of them say, you know what, let me first go digital at all. And then in a second step, um, I think about AI. So right now, AI is not really flying off the shelves, but it is always a very good thing to have in a product demonstration because it shows us the potential it has and um, also the way that we are headed uh, for the next few years. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, like you said, AI is coming. There's there's no doubt about that. So it's important to when you're building systems like this to have something that will accommodate that when it when it comes in the future. You said something about you can develop your own AI to go along with with Digital Lab, and this might be a little more advanced for, for, for this conversation, but how does that work? How do, you, how do you develop your own AI? So what we actually see in the market is we have companies that do AI, like all these startups um, that um, are rising now. But what we also see is that pathologists themselves develop AI, and not necessarily only at universities. Um, sometimes it's even a private, uh, privately run labs that co collaborate with uh, research uh, groups from universities to develop AI um, for their own application. And um, what is often a problem is that um, both parties, the pathologists and the AI expert, do not sit in the same room. So um, they are somewhere separated, um, often by many uh, miles in between them, and both of them have to have the same set of slides, which are, as you know, very large in size, and then they have to exchange annotation files. So the pathologist makes annotations, sends them to the AI expert, and then they have to synchronize, do we have the same slides and all that. In Digital Lab, you can just install it in one lab, put all the images there, and the pathologist can make the annotations for the AI training from anywhere in the world. 
And the computer scientist can actually read these annotations programmatically alongside the, let's say, image excerpts or the tiles um, that belong to these annotations programmatically and automatically. So no one has to have a copy of all the slides on their sitting on their own computers. And Digital Lab just makes the collaboration for developing AI so much easier. And that is um, a, a small field that is also coming up now because I really believe that pathologists not only will consume AI, but also develop their own AI for their own special needs. Okay, that makes sense. And it's because it, 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 the, all of the images are in the cloud, so everybody can look at the same in, images at the same time, right? Is that, is that what you're saying? Um, no, actually, the um, images with Digital oh. Lab, um, they can be in the cloud, but usually they are uh, on-premise. So okay. let's say the pathologist has a lab, um, has thousands of slides. Um, he or she can annotate these um, slides for AI, but the computer scientists that they collaborate with can... Um, in, on the same time, uh, programmatically get all these uh, tiles and annotations, even though the slides all reside within the lab. So that we have an API for that. Oh, I understand. Okay, okay. And now what about, because some of these, the uh, slide scanners, they have their own sort of proprietary image format. Now, how do you, how do you get around that with, with Digital Lab? Mm -hmm. So uh, fortunately, we can uh, read all the slide formats because we have contracts with all scanner um, companies. Um, so okay. yeah, we are um, completely open to that. Um, we also have a, a feature that we can convert any proprietary format into an open DICOM format. So even if pathologists choose any certain scanner but um, want to long-term archive into DICOM, we can also do that in PathoZoom Digital Lab automatically, which also touches a very exciting development too, um, and that is the need to store slides digitally indefinitely. Right now, most labs delete their slides uh -huh. after six or eight weeks because they want to save server space, which is um, expensive. But we know that um, in the future, ultimately, glass archives will be replaced by the digital archives. And we already have a solution to also save slides to tape drives or to tape archives, like there's one from IBM, for instance, and also retrieve these cases again. So this is also something that is coming now, um, the possibility to uh, long-term archive slides either to tape drives or also, of course, to any cloud storage like S3 or Azure or whatever is on the market. Okay, yeah, that's that's important, the storage, yeah, because that is expensive. So you mentioned that you can convert the images to DICOM, and I think that's important because radiology images are in the DICOM format. And, uh, you, you know, radiology is kind of looked at, when it comes to digital pathology, we kind of look to radiology because that's sort of, uh, digital radiology is kind of a few years ahead of us. Uh, so I think it's important to have the both systems in the same format. Would, would you agree with that? Yes, 100%. So what we see in digital pathology is in essence the same as what had happened in radiology 15 to 20 years ago. So in radiology, we have the RIS, the radiology information system, plus the PAC system. This in pathology would be the LIS, 
plus, for instance, Digital Lab as an image management system. We have scanners in radiology. As everyone knows, it's CT, MRI, X-ray, whatever. And then in pathology, we now have the slide scanners. So the history of it is the same. Um, it's a little bit unfortunate that all slide scanner vendors have invented their own proprietary format, but this is slowly coming to an end. So I see now uh, from companies like Leica that they have implemented um, the DICOM format. I think Hamamatsu has done so too. Again, if one of these companies is struggling, we can always help them. Um, we have a, a converter and know a lot about DICOM because simultaneously to smart media, there's also another company which I founded three years ago for radiology. It's called Easy Radiology, which is um, highly successful. And um, we are combining our knowledge uh, from these two companies. It's a both-way communication because also radiology profits in a way from the things we learn from pathology and vice versa. So what, what's next for smart in media? Do you have any new products or like projects, things you're going to expand on that are coming in the future? Oh, yeah, uh, we do. We are uh, developing uh, quite a lot of new uh, features and functionalities for Digital Lab first. That is the uh, core focus of our efforts right now. Um, but also uh, we have um, projects together with the pharmaceutical industry um, to develop AI. For instance, one project is now almost um, finished. It is an AI that we developed together with the company Novartis um, to detect the very rare disease mastocytosis in H and E slides. And this AI will be provided to pathologists worldwide for free, actually, um, because mastocytosis is such a rare disease, often um, missed in diagnostics because it's, uh, yeah, again, rare and not so easy to diagnose. And also, um, also on the uh, AI part, um, we are adding uh, a real AI app store now because most of the AI companies that I see in pathology will have the challenge that they would have to have some kind of an installation on site in pathology departments. And as you can see, the pathologists of the future will maybe have 20 or 50 different AIs as they now have 20 or 50 different immunohistochemistries chemistries that they offer. And of course, they don't want to have uh, 20 to 50 contracts with different companies. So uh, we will take a place to become an AI app store so the pathologist can then just book or cancel AIs from different companies with us or through us. And the AI companies can uh, focus more on the development of their software. So I think this will be a very good way to go for the next few years. Yeah, I like that. That sounds like a, a very exciting future, uh, probably not too distant future. Uh, Martin, this has been really interesting to learn more about you, to learn more about Smart and Media and uh, just, you know, what's what's to come and what you're working on. So, uh, Dr. Martin Byrock, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, I invite everyone to visit our website at www.smartmedia.com and we would be glad and happy to serve you. Yep, I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes to that as well. Okay, thank you very much. Big thanks to Dr. Martin Byrock. Also thanks to Karina Turner from Smart Media, who was instrumental in setting up this interview. Right now, here's a trailer from another episode that I think you'll enjoy, and then I'll be back with some final comments on this episode. 
and I'd like to know how do we how do we prepare for this? Like, I mean, a pathologist, of course, but also you know, n- non-pathologists like me. How do we prepare for this change? Mm-hmm. Well, the best preparation will be to educate ourselves. If we educate ourselves, we will be able to engage in the development. And you mentioned this with other products, with the lab information systems, where you see that they are not really being done with the involvement of the end users. So to prepare for AI and to actually make AI better for us later, we should get involved. And to get involved, we need to have a certain level of knowledge so that we can provide value. We already talked about it in the context of the course. But basically, to educate ourselves and educate ourselves in the process. And also, like I mentioned about image analysis, about reviewing the quality of what those AI applications or AI solutions provide. And I'm mostly talking in the context of image analysis, but this applies to any tool. You can hear more from Dr. Alexander Zhirov and the Digital Pathology Podcast in episode 53. It's always interesting to talk about technologies like this, and it's exciting to think about what the future could bring with something like this, especially incorporating AI. I also really enjoyed hearing about the educational applications of this platform, and it could also be used for things like consultations, uh, frozen sections, so you're talking about telepathology, and tumor boards. Smart in Media is located in Germany, but it is available in the U.S. and a lot of other countries as well. And as I pointed out in the episode, I think it's important that Dr. Virak was able to combine two interests that he had, that being computer science and medicine, and combine those together and create something new. And I think there will definitely be more opportunities to do things like that in the future. As always, I'll have links in the show notes to everything that we talked about today. I did want to mention that this past week, I had the honor of giving a presentation on PathCast once again. So it was great to be back there again. I gave a presentation on key concepts in grossing, and I'll have a link in the show notes to that. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at People of Path, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others. And together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health care and well-being and you can find a link in the show notes to health podcast network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts thank you very much for listening and i will talk to you next time on the people of pathology podcast